Hi, everyone. This is Deepika Sen, and you're listening to the Wharton FinTech Club podcast. Today, we are joined by Jen Wan Bian, head of the growth team at Upstart. Upstart is the first lending platform to leverage artificial intelligence and machine learning to price credit and automate the borrowing process. The company reaches beyond FICO, using non-conventional variables at scale that provide superior loan performance and improve consumers' access to credit. At Upstart, Jungwon oversees all of the company's user acquisition strategies across digital, offline, and lifecycle channels. Prior to joining the firm, she was a management consultant at Oliver Wyman, where she analyzed the risk exposures of international banks as part of regulatory stress testing procedures. Welcome, Jungwon, and thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you. Likewise, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to the podcast. Um, to kick things off, could you tell us a bit about your own professional trajectory? Where did you develop your interest in fintech? Yeah, my, my interest in fintech is actually pretty long-stemming. I originally approached it from more of the development perspective and thought, given my interest in economics um, and also my desire to work more on um, issues kind of related to human suffering and poverty, that financial innovation was one of the most sustainable ways to address um, poverty and economic development. Um, and originally, I was interested in microfinance, which is actually how I met our co-founder, Paul. Paul and I used to work for a microfinance organization together. And so my interest kind of first took me from microfinance then to digital financial services. And I spent a bit of time working for an NGO in Zambia that was trying to bring mobile finance and um, digital payment, digital banking to the poor in Zambia. Um, and then I got back to the States and worked at Oliver Wyman where I was working more with large financial institutions. And it was really interesting, again, to uh, learn more about the, the regulatory framework that banks were experiencing. There was a lot of change going on at the time. Um, and also to see things at a very high level. But ultimately, I did want to uh, kind of come back to more directly consumer-facing work. Um, and really at its core, I believe that credit is one of the most empowering tools that people can have. And so often, uh, you know, we, we kind of take for granted a system where credit is extended to people, but it's, it's not necessarily in a very human way. And um, I think a lot of times credit oppresses people as opposed to empowering them. So I was really excited about Upstart, the team, and the mission because it really seemed like a company that could build financial products responsibly and with the end user in mind, bringing maybe some of that tech um, tech principles and tech values uh, into the finance world. Um, so I joined Upstart really for those reasons, to try and uh, take a different approach to the system and really make credit work for people and empower them through responsible finance, through good rates, by giving them the most affordable rate that we can give them based on their true risk. To that end, can you talk to us a little bit more about Upstart's unique positioning within the lending space? What do you think are some of the key areas of growth for the firm as you look towards another blockbuster year? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we really see ourselves as outsiders in this space. I mean, many of us come, don't come directly from the consumer lending industry. A lot of the leadership team and the team broadly come from technology. We have a bunch of people from Google. So we can't help but take a look at this space from more of a technology perspective and think about building different products. Um, our company really started around a model, and, and we're really a data science company at heart. So I think our perspective is very different, and our focus, much more so than our competitors, is on very robust 
underwriting. So we, have, we use advanced machine learning. We use different data, like you mentioned earlier, to get a much more holistic view of the borrower and are constantly thinking about how we can improve our technology and um, expand into markets that have traditionally been ignored or underserved. Uh, that's, that's definitely more exciting for us because um, that's really where underwriting makes a big difference. So here are a bunch of people that traditional financial institutions have always kind of said are, are risky, and we want to see if we can, through better underwriting and through different data, change that conversation and say, actually, these people are great borrowers. Um, in fact, the majority of America uh, is, you know, would, would make great borrowers, um, and it's just kind of through lack of sophistication or, or um, risk tolerance that, that banks kind of white, uh, write off certain populations. So we really want to expand access to credit in that way um, to more people where the underwriting becomes a lot more interesting. And that's, so in some, that's kind of what we see as our differentiator. We focus a lot more on credit. Um, we're pursuing that in, through kind of advanced stats and machine learning, and we're interested in using that to expand access to credit to people that have traditionally been underserved. I think another uh, key differentiator of Upstart is, is of course, its software offering powered by Upstart. Could you tell us a little bit more about this service? How does this fit in within the broader Upstart product suite? Yeah, absolutely. So. Like I mentioned, because we see ourselves as a tech company, it was kind of natural for us to think about how we build technological infrastructure to achieve our ultimate goal of giving consumers access to affordable credit. Um, and again, be, I think because so many of our leadership team comes from Google where they were working on SaaS products, again, it was pretty logical for us to then want to build a SaaS product. I mean, there are tons of banks and financial institutions that already exist and have really strong relationships with their consumers that Rather than reinventing the wheel, we thought about how we might be able to partner with them. So we launched uh, Powered by Upstart last year, and basically it's a full-service acquisition lending servicing platform. Um, it really takes the strengths of our underwriting, our verification, our fraud modeling, um, and acquisition programs that we've developed and lets banks use them to extend additional products to their consumers. Um, we're really excited about this, uh, especially because partnering with these banks allows us to offer lower rates to our consumers, which is kind of a win-win for everyone. So we can help banks uh, serve their existing consumers better, help them acquire new consumers, help them reach out more to um, millennial bases that are a lot more digitally savvy and online, and at the same time, give consumers lower rates. So this is definitely a very big strategic priority for our company, and we're really excited to continue solidifying our identity as the techno technology provider in this space. And in addition to a lot of this, you know, data-driven lending approach as well as the software offering, um, Upstart is also highly differentiated within the FinTech landscape given the high concentration of women in senior roles. How has the firm's focus on diversity impacted your own experience um, at the company? Yeah, I feel incredibly lucky to be here. And um, there are so many moments when I am in a meeting and I am just surrounded by women in very senior roles. That seems like such a crazy thing to say these days. So I, I feel incredibly grateful that we, I have those opportunities so frequently at Upstart. I think it's really come from the top. Our CEO, Dave, prioritizes diversity very highly. So the leadership team has always been, I think, 30 or 40% women. Um, 
and uh, just throughout the whole company on, on many different teams, we have a lot of women. My team has a lot of women. There are some, there are personal ways that I benefit from this, and then there are some interesting professional outcomes that result from having a more gender-balanced workplace. So obviously, personally at work, I feel very supported. Uh, we started a group called Superwoman last year to build a community for women at Upstart. Um, and there are times when I just have amazing one-on-ones where I can talk about um, books that I've read or um, personal experiences that I've had, and it just it just feels great to be able to talk about those things at work. And I really appreciate. I, I mean, it's, it's really random, but even just talking about like fertility or our relationship problems, like these um, things that you would talk about with your friends, the fact that I can have more intimate relationships like that with women at work is so encouraging for me. And then from a work perspective, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about when it comes to diversity about how it impacts businesses or the bottom line or company growth. And I wasn't quite sure exactly like how how I guess how tactically important diversity was like there are a lot of you know HBR articles about it but it's it's really hard to know like what in practice does having women uh, more involved like having more of a gender ratio do for your business but then this year I realized um, it actually has like I've I've witnessed how much of an impact it has so for example we've uh, recently launched a, or we're about to launch an exclusive relationship with The Knot, which is one of the go-to destinations for people about to have a wedding. And it reaches eight out of 10 brides in America. They have 11 million unique monthly visitors. And that idea came from our partnerships manager, who is herself a woman and, and can kind of empathize with a lot of these brides-to-bes and, and has friends who's used, who have used that site extensively. Um, we're also pursuing fertility financing and um, kind of, you know, partnerships with companies like that because we have women at, at the company who have ex- struggled with fertility or have needed fertility financing or know that process really intimately. And I don't think men would necessarily shy away from this or think it's a bad idea if there's a good business case. But I think because we had women who empathize with um, these users and these problems more, we were able to pursue those opportunities more proactively. So that's definitely an example where having uh, a more balanced gender ratio at the company has actually led to a, a pretty big impact on, our, on the business decisions that we make. Does that make sense? Yeah, it did. I think that's a really powerful concept. Um, to focus a little bit more on the Superwoman endeavor, what kind of programming has this initiative supported to date, and how do you sort of envision it growing over time? Yeah, it's actually we've actually had amazing support from for this group pretty organically. Uh, I was worried in the beginning that'd be one of those things that had a lot of energy behind it, but then maybe fizzled out. But so many different women from all different teams at all different levels of the company have really stepped up and raised their hand to help grow this this community. And so it's it's been doing great so far. And as a result, we have a lot of different programs um, under the Superwoman umbrella as well. So uh, at kind of at the largest level, we have pretty regular large event meetings where we'll either talk about the vision for the group or do something that, you know, these events that we call Superwoman Unite, which are really designed to be large group events for all of the women. 
And then we'll do fireside chats where we bring, you know, kind of host or profile um, women from within the company as well as from outside the company to just share in more of a long-form format about their careers and their experiences. Um, and then we have a book club uh, that our head of compliance leads, and this book club meets maybe monthly or so. Uh, they read different books about management, leadership, etc. Um, we've also kicked off some other groups that have become upstart-wide and are not just related to Superwoman. So the mentorship program kind of stemmed out of an idea uh, that, that came from Superwoman. And then one of my favorite events actually uh, has been um, sharing stories. So we, we started an event that uh, involves different women at Upstart sharing about the people that they admire the most and the people that have been most influential or inspirational in their lives. And at this event, I, I had this very distinct moment after everyone had presented when I was just kind of shocked by how much diversity there was at the company because we had women whose families came from rural Afghanistan, women of all different religions, women with very different you know, family structures, not just the traditional family structure, women with so many different stories for how they came to be at this company. And I distinctly remember sitting there thinking, oh my God, we, the amount of diversity we have in this company is amazing and it's so special and I should definitely not take it for granted. So that's, that's one of my favorite events and we're looking forward to doing many more of those um, this year. I think our vision for Superwoman is it's still evolving and it, you know, we want it to be whatever the woman at the company needed to be. Uh, but for this year, we, we just had a planning session and we'll probably organize our events around three pillars. One is internal community building and socializing. One is around volunteering and activism. And then the last pillar is really around professional development and career development. I was curious, how do you see the volunteering and activism component um, playing out over the coming years? Uh, over the coming years? Mm -hmm. We're going to start thinking about hosting different events or supporting different events and organizations that, again, empower women. So um, we'll, we'll probably kind of pursue that a little bit more actively this year. That's fascinating. That, that's such a great initiative. Um, but uh, more broadly, uh, of course, the gender gap in FinTech has been really well documented. How do you think that we should encourage more women to consider opportunities within the sector? Mm -hmm. Something that I would say broadly is, you know, there are if you a lot of research around women and how they might, how kind of more generally they might behave differently in the in the workplace or have unique challenges in the workplace, kind of center around self-esteem and confidence. And while there's a lot of literature on this, one thing that I might say that can frame, you know, just maybe help people think about it a little differently is everything seems really hard and impossible until you can do it. I think over the course of my time at Upstart, there were so many times when I was facing a challenge and it just didn't seem possible to me and I didn't think I was talented enough to solve this problem or someone else would be able to do it better. But eventually, it would, you know, with the support of many people, if we kind of hacked away at the problem and solved it, once you got to the point where you realized how it worked, it wasn't scary at all. And so I hope, I would just like to encourage a lot of women to realize that the things that look scary today are only scary, you know, the, the scariness of it is kind of not an inherent um, trait of, of the challenge or of you. It's just a reflection of kind of distance that can be bridged. So you can work towards breaking down problems 
more um, kind of build up your learning over time. You're not, you don't have to feel kind of uh, fatalistic about where you are today relative to where the challenge is and that everything new that has never been done before seems scary until it's been done. So if you're worried about in entering into a new field or entering into finance or technology, uh, it probably looks scarier on the outside than it is on the inside. And I also think that the industry itself is very new and excited to change. So you have a unique opportunity to be able to step in and shape the values of what this industry can look like and what the vision for this industry can look like. And I'm really hoping over the next year to be able to do that as well, working with other women at different fintech companies and think proactively, you know, what would it mean for an industry to step up and say, hey, how can we, how can we be the leader at this? How can we be a leader in diversity and um, not just be complacent about all of these issues, but really take a proactive stance. The good news is there are a lot of fintech companies that have great program for women already. So I think this industry is actually likely to be quite conducive for women who, who want to enter into it. And I would definitely encourage a lot of women to do so. I also think it's you know, finance and tech, I guess, are traditionally male-dominated industry, but I think this fintech, um, at least from my experience of it so far, has been, um, has, has not, I guess it, it depends on the company, but there are a lot of amazing companies who are very user-focused, who are very social impact-oriented and care a lot about uh, kind of building their companies in a mission-oriented way, both for the users, but also for the employees. So I think many of them would be really conducive to um, and, and, and exciting places for women to work. That's really helpful advice. Thank you so much. To wrap up, um, so it seems like you've had experience in you know, management consulting with NGOs and now in FinTech. What were some of the key considerations you had as you transitioned between industries? How did you know when it was the right moment to take a chance and make a leap into something that was so different? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a great answer because the process by which I came to Upstart wasn't super, wasn't super rigorous or planned, if I'm being honest. Um, part of me wanted to see, I guess I always had this concept of myself as someone who was more contrarian, someone who was capable of departing from the traditional path. But if I was being honest with myself, up until the point at which I joined Upstart, everything that I did seemed pretty traditional in kind of, given like the background and, and the path that I was on. And so Upstart was almost like a small act of rebellion. And even that really wasn't that rebellious because there are tons of people who do the consulting to tech, New York to San Francisco move now. Um, but in my mind at the time, it was a bit of an act of kind of proving to myself if I could really do it. I guess for me, the way when I think about making career transitions, I kind of think about it in in two ways. Maybe they're really the same. Um, I I think it's important to know clearly what you want and also how important those things are relative to each other. So. I, when I talk to a lot of candidates or a lot of my peers who are thinking about making career changes, especially a lot of consultants, they struggle with making decisions because they want everything to be perfect and they want to have everything. And um, surprisingly enough, a lot of consultants, I think, struggle with making choices. And even going into consulting was, in many ways, a way of deferring a choice or a way of not yet picking an industry. 
So I think it's really important to be very honest about what you want and keep that list kind of small, but then also rank it because, um, you know, as as we kind of progress in our careers, it, it gets, the decisions that we have to make get a lot more nuanced and require a lot more wisdom. And it's not about deciphering the, the good things from the bad things. Uh, it's really about choosing from many good things and when you're or choosing among many bad things. And if you are choosing among many good things, you have to know what is the most important thing to you and then what is number two. And if you have number one but not number two, is that good enough? So I think forcing yourself to really think about that as you make a career transition is, is, is very helpful. And then the other part is having a very – you can also think about it kind of as, you know, who do you want to be? And I think that's how I've made – my career choice is more like what kind of person do I want to be and what are the jobs that will help me live out the kind of person that I want to be as opposed to thinking about this from just a jobs perspective. I tend to think about it more as, you know, what, what values do I want to live out in my life and what are the jobs that will let me do that? That's very helpful and very timely, especially for a lot of MBA students who are, you know, considering making a leap between industries. Do you have any advice for MBA students that are interested in the syntech space? So I actually maybe want to talk a little bit more about transitioning into startups because I think a lot of fintech companies are still startups and perhaps the bigger transition for a lot of MBA candidates will be transitioning to a startup more so than, than fintech necessarily. Um, and I kind of want to make a controversial point here and talk a little bit about a worldview that I see many uh, MBA candidates and people who are potentially MBA candidates uh, using to make their life decisions. And it's this idea of optionality, right? So I'm sure you've heard of it. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people at Wharton make their life choices based on this principle or are otherwise intimately familiar with it. Um, and options in finance refer to the right or, but not the obligation to buy or sell a security in the future. And it's great because you don't have to make the decision right now. There's a lot of upside. You're basically deferring a decision to, uh, on a stock for another time. Um, but in finance, there's a cost to this. This is actually priced out, right? So uh, being able to make many choices is, is considered to be more valuable than being kind of bound into one, and so there's a price you pay or a premium on that. When loosely applied to MBA recruiting um, and kind of um, career decisions made by a lot of MBA candidates, I think it actually has very specific implications, and again, given how much people refer to this concept when they're making their like major life choices, I think it's just worth revisiting exactly what those implications are, um, and and ensuring that the people who are kind of espousing this belief actually want the consequences of it. So again, when when applied to to career making, a lot of my peers and I'm sure your peers um, use it to describe maybe. Uh, kind of, they, they often refer to it when they don't know exactly what industry or role they want, and so instead choose the career path that they believe will give them the most options again in the future. Um, but in practice, I think this has actually, this ends up referring to a very specific set of industries, roles, 
and career paths. So usually in practice, it just refers to going into consulting, getting an MBA, going into banking or PE, getting a role that has like strategy in the title. Um, and so I think first we should be honest about the fact that optionality usually refers to a very specific, ends up in practice referring to a very specific set of decisions and companies. Um, so that's the first, first thing that I'd like to point out as something I've observed. Um, the second thing is you can't keep all the doors open everywhere forever. And I, I think a lot of MBA candidates think that, um, that you know, they can just, by pursuing optionality or optimizing for optionality, they can just keep all the career paths, all the company's doors open forever. I can go into consulting, then I'll have all the doors open to me later. Then I can go into banking, I'll have all the doors open to me forever. That's really not how it works. And every, every year, every additional year that you spend in consulting or banking, whatever, there are doors being closed, always. There are always doors being closed. So given that, um, I would just advise that candidates be very honest about which doors are actually being closed and make sure that those are the right doors that are, that are being closed instead of kind of maybe being a little bit more um, enchanted by this idea that, that nothing, that no doors will ever be closed to you. Um, and then the last point that I want to make, which I think is the most important one when thinking about transitioning into startups, is that this idea of optionality often in practice results in people approaching their career decisions as a consumer and not a creator. Uh, meaning in, in practice what I see is a lot of people basically getting, getting a bunch of different job offers, sitting down with them, and then going through what is some, like, somewhat of a Yelp-like search process through each of the job options and filtering for prestige or role, title, impact, like team. Um, and, and it's basically like, you know, whether or not they have free Wi-Fi or like good for groups, it's, it's like uh, it's really thinking as a consumer about what, what the career options are, expecting that companies kind of have a set opportunity ready and then just comparing different opportunities. That's fine but it's very antithetical to what happens at a startup. Because if you think about what a startup is, it's identifying problems, actually. It's going out and seeking problems and then jumping headlong into them with the belief that you as an individual can make an impact. Looking at a company that's not great yet, but that has the potential to become great and seeing an opportunity for you to be part of that success. Um, something else I hear a lot is, you know, I'm, and maybe this is a little bit more relevant to the fintech industry, um, people don't know who the winners are going to be in this industry, so they want to wait. And that's fine. That's, that's totally a valid way to make life choices. But again, that's not, if, if that's how you feel and if, and if knowing that is important to you, startups probably aren't the best fit because the whole point of joining a startup is to join a company that's not yet clearly the winner and then going and, and making it the winner. Um, so I think all of these things are, are implications of these different aspects are implications of uh, trying to pursue optionality in, in careers. And if you're someone who's making a big career decision right now, you should really think about whether these are the implications that you want of your decision making and just be honest. Again, I have nothing with the, no issues with the concept in theory. And it's, you know, there are lots of amazing companies that are prestigious with very good reasons that can give you a very comfortable and successful career. So there's no reason uh, to, to go and work at a startup if that's not what you want. But if you're considering it, you should be honest about, about what working at a startup is really like because it's definitely not easy and your career is secondary to the greater mission. That's, that's, that's why I joined a startup. It's precisely because I wanted to get myself, my ego and myself kind of lost 
in the greater mission and goal of this company. Um, but that means you can't take a consumerist approach to making decisions or, or to your work. Um, so again, just in sum, I would say optionality in practice often leads to a very specific set of career decisions. Doors, it's the idea that it keeps doors open forever is probably not very valid, and it will lead to taking a more consumerist approach to your career as opposed to a creator approach. Um, and so if that's, that's how you want to be making decisions, just be honest about those consequences and, and think about them. That's it. That's, uh, that's really great advice that I think will be beneficial for so many of our listeners and some of my colleagues here in school. Um, thanks, Jenglan, for your time today. I think your insights on trends in the sector and the importance of workplace diversity were incredibly impactful. And we're all here um, looking forward to hearing more about the Superwoman Initiative throughout the remainder of 2018, so best of luck.